1: Welcome to Dr. Mara Karpel and Your Golden Years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time, that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpel.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, May the 2nd, 2021, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara carpell and I hope that you're all enjoying this beautiful day and staying safe wherever you are. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual, and we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while, after the break, we'll be joined from right here in Texas by Will Thornton, driving safety professional and author of the book, Are We There Yet?, we'll We'll discuss the hidden epidemic of high risk driving and its most vulnerable victims of teens and new drivers, and we'll get some tips on how to address the risk and lower the stress of parents and grandparents of teens and new drivers and along the way, I'll discuss some subtle or more hidden hurdles for following our passion. Um, and also some tips for overcoming them. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, Please feel free to give a call. The toll free number is 855 345 4720. That's 855 345 4720. Or you can email your questions to me and I will read them on the air. My email address is drmara, That's V R M A D-R-M-A-R-A, R A at com. And you can hear this evening's program again later this evening by going to my website and the link to the podcast along with any um, in, important information or contact links that we talk about on the program will be posted there later tonight and you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash ears. It'll also be on Apple Podcasts in about five minutes after the show ends. And for information from previous programs to listen to all of the prior programs since we've been on Blog Talk Radio for over seven years and to read my blogs or find out about my book, go to my website, drmaricorpel.com. All of the shows are also on blogtalkradio.com and on Apple Podcasts, going back the seven plus years. And for future events, upcoming shows, um, events that are coming up, speaking engagements, even virtual speaking engagements, um, information about my book, any uh, blogs that I post, um, follow me on Facebook. That's the best way to find that out. And that's Dr. Mara Karpel, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a very brief break. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be very brief. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here on the phone with Will Thornton to discuss driving safety and reducing risk and his book, Are We There Yet? So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super Psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell. We'll be back after words from our sponsors.
1: If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on com. And now joining us on the phone is Will Thornton, driving safety specialist and author of the book, Are We There Yet?, to discuss the hidden epidemic of high-risk driving and how we can be better about our driving. Welcome, Will
3: hi mara how are you
1: um i'm well how are you
3: well you know inside of this pandemic doing pretty good okay <laughs> it's been a oh. rough ride for a lot of us i know
1: oh yeah oh yeah well hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel
3: <laughs> well we hope that's the case um what i want to share with folks uh is my book is a little bit different from most books about driver safety in that it's not truly about driver safety in the truest sense Uh, a lot of people perceive uh driving as something we need to be safe at doing but for the most part um what you think is safe or what I think is safe can be quite different from each other. The more the focus of my book is more about uh, actual driving risk and what's involved with driving risk. Okay. Um, so, yeah, go so ahead. So
1: before we jump, come- well, before we jump into that, I just want to remind you,
3: first of all, that there's a
1: slight delay when we speak like this. So I, I want you to know that so that we don't trip each other up and also for listeners to know that so they can understand if there's like a little break. Um, okay. Also, before we jump into talking about the book, why don't you give us a little bit of information about your background?
3: Well, I've been uh, teaching driving or being a driving coach for over 16 years. I've given the drive test in both Washington State and in Texas currently. Uh, Out of those years, uh, I started understanding or seeing uh, a real paradox going on with driving. Originally, um, what motivated me or what created the passion in me, if you will, to become a driving instructor was the loss of my own son back mm. in two thousand three from a driving crash. Mm-hmm. Go,
2: ahead.
3: go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, go no, go ahead. <clears throat> um,
3: and, and from that, uh, in two thousand six, as I started to heal from my grief and, and process of his loss, I decided, partly. To become a driving instructor to honor his passing, but also to hopefully prevent the phone call that no one wants to get, especially a parent. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of yeah, a lot of the book is uh, somewhat focused around what a new driver should be paying attention to, but also it's also designed for experienced drivers to up level their awareness about actual driving risk.
1: Right, right. So, you know, in the title of your book, the subtitle, which I didn't read aloud, which is pretty it's pretty long, The Epidemic of Risk, Aggression and Distraction. Its <clears throat> impact to our nation's roads and a practical program to end the resulting deaths and wrecks. Um, can we talk about the each of those? The 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 risk, the aggression, and the distraction?
3: Absolutely. Mainly, like I said, the thrust of the book is understanding the nature of risk. Uh, As far as aggression goes, um, what we have seen is a serious upswing since 2012 of drivers becoming even more insular in their driving. What I mean is they're paying more attention to themselves than to what's going on around them. With the advent of what we call the cell phone, we call it a smartphone now, uh, since 2012, the World Health Organization has declared the, the world's roadways to be at an epidemic level of death taking place on the roadways. And from that, we've averaged uh, about 1.3 million lives every year since, which mm. is quite quite a staggering number, but it's easily prevented. It's easily prevented. But getting back to the question uh, that you asked about aggression, mainly I think because we are – the best way I can look at this, really – is that from the things that are taking place in our world be it the pandemic all the you know the things with race riots and so on and so forth that go on and you know just it seems like the world is in such upheaval there's a lot of uh shall we say push towards the direction of letting go of fear that's a very hard thing to do and Fear, a lot of times, is I know you deal with in your realm in psychology and so on, it's a tough thing to confront and to even let go of. Mm -hmm. With putting more of a focus towards what actual driving risk is, this can help a driver overcome that uh, urge to get into road rage or to behave in a way that's really going to put other people's lives at serious risk. Now, mm-hmm. as far as distraction, yeah, excuse me. As far as distraction goes, well, with the advent of the cell phone, that's why we had such an uptake in the number of deaths and collisions. There are a lot of factors that go into all three of these things. Uh, they get, I go into much greater detail in my book and on them, and I would highly recommend that readers. Uh, if they're at all interested, whether you are just an experienced driver or you are a parent who's getting ready to teach a teen how to drive, you'll find that the exercises in this book will help you immensely.
1: So I have received a question already, and maybe you sort of partially or fully answered it already, but let, can I read the question to you? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, it says, I have seen more and more people run red lights, and seriously, after it has been red for a while, people are driving through stop signs just because no one else is there. I drive a lot and notice this everywhere, not just in Austin, Texas. Why do you think this is happening?
3: (laughs) Um, Well, fundamentally, the reason it's happening is that people are – ignoring their actual driving risk. And it's really interesting. When I did the research for this book, um, I found that there was a lot of discussion about safety in and around pedestrians, bicyclists, uh, some references towards, uh, you know, the interaction between drivers. I think what essentially happens in the minds of many drivers <clears throat> is because the, the pressure of life is such that they want to get to that appointment. They want to get their kid at school and, and so on. They don't see the actual risk they're putting themselves, but also the actual risk they're putting the other people in by doing the things that they do. Um, I can... Let's go after the one subject that I know is near and dear to everyone's heart, and that's people who speed. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a big problem. But it's not the speeding that's the problem. It's the fundamental attitude behind it. A lot of people, and this is a myth, people think that speeding will get them to a destination sooner but what's really driving that is their fear of being late.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Now that's not a pun. that's not necessarily a pun, driving it. But in the sense that they're more focused on being late than they are on the actual possible risks that they're taking, because we get into the habit. That's where that's the fundamental issue here, because we get into the habit. Of thinking, yeah, I can beat that light, or I can ignore that stop sign, or I can, yeah, who needs this signal? I don't need this signal. These all things, all these things seem really insignificant in and of themselves. But over time, as a person gets into the habit of doing it that way all the time, then they just start thinking, oh, I've gotten away with it. I've gotten away with it. And maybe I get away with it a thousand times or more, but then the one time shows up and everything goes south and get into a crash or worse.
1: So let me ask you a question. Do you think that um, drivers tend to think that they're better drivers than everybody else on the road and that even though speeding isn't good, (laughs) they're able to do it and they know how to do it just right? (laughs)
3: Um, (laughs) yeah exactly well part of this you know this this delves into your realm especially when it concerns ego and so on it's very easy to think you're the best driver out there and Uh it's usually based based on your experience if your experience is one where you haven't been in any collisions uh there hasn't been any real issue for you as a driver it's a real good possibility you're already driving at low risk by the way you drive. Maybe you are consistently applying those skills and habits that you once learned, and you haven't become complacent. You haven't become even, I dare say, lazy about some of the things that you know you should be doing. Boy, this is a, this is a big one. Most people, when they're driving because we are surrounded by glass and metal, we don't have to answer for our actions directly to anyone. This is mm. also something that very much feeds road rage and the aggressive attitude. Because I don't have to, you know, if I decide to cut you off, if I decide to speed and weave in and around in traffic, I don't have to answer to any of those people but let's just say for instance, just let's just look at the standard thing of making a lane change. Someone doesn't signal, they just pull right over. Okay, they don't even bother. Mm.
1: Oh, I hate that. <laughs> or they
3: or they just literally cut you off. Ask uh, yourself this pee. question. Yeah, yeah. What would happen in the grocery store line if you did the same thing? Mm hmm. But you see, there's the the rub. So you don't have to answer directly for doing that out on the road. So you get away with doing it all the time, and then you get into the habit of doing it all the time or not doing what you should be doing, which is using the turn signal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I want to mention, you know, when I was, and maybe this is somewhat related to that perception that you're the best on the road, um, when I was a graduate student, my first year of graduate school, we had to go to these weekly seminars, and the very first seminar stuck in my mind very clearly. There was a researcher who researched the perception of pedestrians at night, um, how far away a car could see them if they were walking in the dark without any like, retro reflective uh. material. And the um, outcome was that the pedestrian perceived that the driver could see them much further from a much further distance than what was reality.
3: Yeah, that's a scary one for sure.
1: Yeah. So it kind of makes me think that – go on. Go ahead. Sorry. It kind of makes me think that drivers have that same sort of false perception.
3: Perception and visual, 70% of your driving is that. The other 30% Uh is made up of what you physically do, such as during a lane change or a turn and so on. And it's very easy to uh, misinterpret what you see. Our brain and our eyes can recognize something much quicker than we can actually act upon it. In other words, mm-hmm. I see that pedestrian. I see that pedestrian up ahead, or the pedestrian sees the car coming. Let, let's let's move right directly to a, a situation that occurs a lot. We average about 600 of these a year throughout the U.S. That's somebody who thinks they can beat the train across the mm-hmm. railroad track. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, that, well, actually, uh, what I think this is a good opportunity for me to share with your listeners what I call the three axioms of low-risk driving. Do you remember what an axiom is? Uh, if it's, it's okay if you don't. That's
2: true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well,
3: mm-hmm. it's it's. Yeah, it's a it's an, uh, a question or a statement that leads to something that is self-evidently true. <clears throat>
2: uh-huh.
3: Everybody agrees the sky is blue. Everybody agrees that gravity works, so on and so forth. Physical reality, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I have what I call the three axioms of low-risk driving. And they're basically designed to do essentially what you're – Being asked to do when you take a drive test, and that is minimize or reduce the level of risk you're putting you and that vehicle at. And we can talk about drive tests a little bit, but these three axioms are designed to up level or upgrade, if you will, how you know, bring up people's awareness about their actual risk. And the first one's pretty blunt and straightforward. You always need to ask yourself if what you're doing right now or are about to do is high risk or low risk. We understand physical reality, so the answer shouldn't be too hard to come up with. But because we don't think about that, we're just focused on getting there. We're just focused on being on time for that meeting or, you know, what have you. We're not thinking about that when the light changes and we think we can beat it. We're thinking about mm-hmm. trying to get there. The second axiom goes like this. This is really simple. This is, this is a life principle. Okay, what I'm going to share with you next is pretty much a life principle all across the board. When in doubt, don't.
2: Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Sixty, percent of the collisions that take place on our nation's roadways, and we average one hundred and sixteen thousand a day. That is literally what happens every day in the U.S. And out wow. of that two hundred, out of that two hundred, some people won't even get to see the next day because somebody thought, "Oh, I can make it." They looked at that light already turning yellow as they approached. And it goes red by the time they get to the intersection. They go through and somebody crashes into them because they saw, oh, I have a green light. Because they didn't take the moment, and this is is what's really interesting about risk, 1.5 seconds to look
2: Mm -hmm. before
3: they move, just to look before they move. And if you're really taking the time to be thorough, it takes about 2.5 seconds. Yes, Uh because again... Again, again, because we're such in a big hurry to get there, we don't want to think about doing that. All we want to do is get there, which is, of course, why the book was titled what it was. Now, the third right. axiom, this third axiom is directly reflective of the level of high-risk driving we're experiencing now. We're at about a 70% level. And because of that, mainly due to something... That, again, is similar to uh, a life philosophy, if you will. But the the phrase goes like this. Never make assumptions about the movement of vehicles, pedestrians, or traffic controls. Just think, if the person who's the pedestrian or the person who's driving that car didn't assume that they could make it, would there be a collision? Or would there be a, right. uh, what we call an accident? The truth of the matter is there is no such thing as an accident. There isn't. The real truth of the matter is it's either a high-risk action that has gotten two people involved with each other, because they both — it takes two high-risk moves to make a, a collision. Uh-huh.: See, a, an accident, an accident, doesn't have an immediately known cause, but a collision, wreck or crash always has a known cause.
1: Right. Good point.
3: Anyway, yeah. Good
1: point. So, I mean, that's what they call defensive driving, right? You can't assume that the other other people on the road are doing what they're supposed to do.
3: That's, That's what defensive says. But with pushing in, if you will, a better perception or awareness about actual risk, that takes that perception and up-levels it to the point where you're constantly aware of it. See, If you're Mm -hmm. always asking yourself these questions, and then you take the, I have a series of exercises in the book that Mm -hmm. I consider to be basic to anyone who drives, whether they're a new driver or a very experienced driver, that they should be doing all the time. And the way the course is laid out in the book you can develop these over time because how long does it take to develop a habit? I think, what do we do? What do they say? 20 days now? I think.
1: Yeah. Something like 21 something days.
3: Like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It varies. You know, you get various numbers. It depends on who you talk uh-huh. to, but somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 days, usually, depending on how well you apply yourself to it. Um, one of the things, you know, when I'm teaching people how to drive, um, what I encourage them to do is speak out loud during those first two or three lessons with me, what they're doing and what they're seeing, what they're perceiving. And I have found that their development, their ability to gain the skill of driving happens much faster than when they don't.
2: Mm. Uh, there's a re-
3: there was even a recent study, I guess, I, I heard from a student one time shared with me that, they were taking railroad engineers and getting them to do that during their shifts. And they were seeing already a 46% 46 reduction in the number of incidences of collisions and crashes and so on with with trains. Wow. Just because they were getting to speak out loud about it. I mean, yeah, you're going to feel a little weird going down the road doing that. But if it takes you from a place of, being more aware of your actual driving risk, your chances are that your being in a collision is going to be low. But another side benefit, you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, there truly is a side benefit to being more aware of your driving risk and applying these exercises. Your stress will reduce considerably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay you you start and when you start to work from this perspective you start to look around at the other drivers around you and you're going oh well that explains why they're doing that or that explains why they did that they weren't paying uh-huh. attention to their risk you know that's that's taking something that we haven't up till now really as a what I call driving culture there is very many different driving cultures throughout the world. Ours is unique in that we put so much of an emphasis on safe instead of actual social integration between each other. Take England, for instance. They're completely different about it. They call it civil responsibility. Mm. And that's how they couch it. They don't even talk, the word safe hardly shows up in any of their language. It's more about civil responsibility and how it's going to affect the other driver. Yeah, Interesting, that, wouldn't work isn't it? Here.
1: <laughs> that wouldn't work here. That wouldn't work here. Everybody's concerned about themselves.
3: Yeah, that's that. unfortunate, but true. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, I got a question um, from, from another sure. listener. Um, you did mention already cell phones. But now, mm-hmm. um, as you're talking about the, the issue of speaking out loud and really paying attention, you know, how do cell phones um, interfere with this, even if we're on, like, speakerphone or Bluetooth?
3: Well, you know, risk, like I said earlier, there's, level, there's actually levels of risk itself. You either have a high risk that's active or it is passive if you're talking on a Bluetooth, you know you're not your hands free, your hands are on the wheel, your eyes are on the road. If that conversation you're having isn't distracting you from being able to see what's going on in front of you, great, but if it is, you might just as well be holding the phone in your hand, uh-huh so It's unfortunate, but we have adopted an attitude in our country of live and let live and let people do what they wish on the roadway. In Australia, as a a counterexample, they're very hardcore about cell phone use there. You will get an immediate fine if you're caught, and they are on it all the time there. But they have law enforcement that's dedicated to that. Our law enforcement no. barely has enough time to deal with everything else, let alone no. what drivers are doing
1: so is that yeah, um even if they're on speakerphone or bluetooth
3: yeah it's it's okay. dependent on the level of distraction that's being created by what you're doing. Let's say you get on you get on your Bluetooth and your wife's checking in with you to see when you're going to be home, and then you hang up mm-hmm.
2: right. that's
3: not severe but if you guys are fighting with each other and you're uh-huh. having an emotionally charged conversation you are fully distracted from the tra- task at hand and you are putting yourself and the other drivers around you at risk for a collision in any given moment of time it's not a matter if it will happen it's just when mm-hmm. i have seen i mean all of us have seen it on the roadway people holding up traffic I had a friend of mine recently tell me he was sitting in an intersection to do a right on red that was during a school zone period, and he couldn't make his right. So as he sat there at the light, he saw the light go green to his left, three lanes of traffic across from him. Every single person that was a driver in that car was looking down at their phone when the light went green, and nobody
2: moved.
3: No one moved. He said he was just astounded by what he saw. See – we think we have the right to do these things. Right. I wish that were true. But the problem with saying we have the right to do whatever we wish behind the wheel of a car, sure, if you're sitting in the parking lot. Right. But the fact of the matter is you're you're around other people. You are having to interact with other traffic. If you're pretending that they're not there, that's that's – Basically, you know, in a social setting, if I walked up to you and you said hello to me and I just walked away, how would you feel?
1: Right, it's inappropriate. Exactly. See, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Again, it gets it gets back to that two degrees of separation from each other. You know, the metal and the glass keeping us separate from each other.
1: So, so do you have any tips for parents? or grandparents
3: who have oh, teens yes. who are
1: learning to drive?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first, I would recommend you go to my website. Um, there's some really great information on there. It's zerorisknow.org. Uh, mm-hmm. I, have a free, I have a free chapter you can take a look at. But more importantly, whether you are teaching them yourselves or you are taking them to a driving school, it's important that you have the ability to incorporate an understanding of the risk of driving. A lot of people accuse teens of being inexperienced. Yes, they're inexperienced drivers, but they know what risk is. I sit down with them every day, and I say, well, what do you think? Do you think this is a risky thing to do or not? And they go, oh, it's clearly it's a high-risk thing to do. You know, if I'm talking about the three axioms uh, concerning the first one, like people blowing through the stop sign, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
3: we all know it's high risk. But you see the problem is developing habits that are low risk. That's where the real issue is. So if you can incorporate the exercises that are found in the book along with what they learn and more importantly separate out the difference between when you're practicing together And when you're trying to educate them or share with them how to do a certain thing in a vehicle, such as a lane change or make a turn, the hardest thing we do in a car, and this is what makes it interesting. The hardest thing we do in a car is turn. If you think about it, it requires the most focus, the most attention, and most awareness of anything you do. A lane change, it's it's more visual. The better habit that the person has at using the mirrors effectively say on a lane change or using their vision effectively on a turn takes that defensive driving skill and gives it the, shall we say, the steroid that it needs to be effective. The reason Mm -hmm. that defensive driving, the reason the Smith system is not working is because people are not consistent. They get complacent over time and they become a little bit lazy about things and then just the whole pressure of life takes over and they just throw the whole idea of being at risk out the window pretty much Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so as far you know to answer that question a little more carefully when you are uh considering getting lessons for your grandson or granddaughter or you have a son or daughter who wants to get their license the book that I wrote, this book that I wrote, Are We There Yet?, will help give you an unbiased perspective to share with them those ticklish things that you know they're going to balk at at first because they're hearing it from mom or they're hearing it from grandma or grandpa. Uh huh. Because teens, when they're growing up, the teen mind is still developing. It isn't still fully developed until they're almost 24 years old. So what right. happens The tendency to uh, have what we call a reactive attitude, and I talk about the element of reactance in my book. I don't know if you and I, I think in a previous conversation, we
2: Mm -hmm.
3: talked about that a little bit. It's the idea that if you're going to limit my freedom in some way and I can't see any reasonable reason why it should be limited, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Such as, say, think about the word limit on a speed limit sign. When you see uh-huh. the word "limit," what do you th- what do you think, right? <laughs> oh, you're not going to limit me. I'm going to do whatever I right. want. Right, right. You know. So yeah, it's it. There is a great deal of psychology in this. You know, when it comes to um, being more aware of what our uh, attitude is towards driving. Mm-hmm. Are we mm-hmm. perceiving it as just a necessary thing? If you get from point A to point B, or do we recognize that if we really truly want to get there alive, if we really truly want to get there safely, if we really want to reduce our stress, it takes some effort. But because driving is such a common everyday thing, we easily let go of that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So now, if listeners are interested, you already mentioned your website, um, zerorisknow mm-hmm. dot org, um, and can they buy the, your book at that website or should they go to Amazon?
3: They can go to both. The pricing isn't a whole lot different between my website and Amazon. Uh, the only difference is you can get the ebook on Amazon. I don't carry the ebook. Uh, other items that I have on there is also an ebook on how to pass your drive test. Um, mm-hmm. There'll be some other upcoming things that'll also be available. I'm in the process of developing an email course that goes with the book, and soon there will oh. be. I'm be doing a video, uh, an online video course for educators and parents on how to effectively uh, teach low risk driving.
1: Okay, great. So the best way for people to get a hold of you for any for any questions, what would that be?
3: That's definitely by email. That's really the best and quickest way, unless there's an urgent question. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, basically you can reach me at Will. Just it's just Will at zerorisknow dot org. Okay. Just e- right. just can email me there. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm going to post all of that on my website post about this show later tonight so Great. people can find that there if they weren't ready for it. Um thank you so much for for coming on the show and talking about this. This is a really important topic and really interesting actually. Yeah. You know, a lot thank of you. you brought up a lot of points that people don't tend to think about when it comes to driving.
3: Um
1: Definitely. So, so let's
3: stay I, in I would,
2: touch. Oh, go, yeah, go on.
3: Definitely. I was going to just a quick little uh, item that came to mind that I'd like to share with the listeners before we go. Um, okay. Be aware that during this pandemic, there has been a tremendous shift and the need to be able to address our driving risk is becoming even greater. Because of the nature of things as they are now, and I'm you know my greatest goal here is not about anything more than saving lives. Mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate mm-hmm. your time. Thank you so much,
1: yeah, thank you and um great book. I do really recommend it for listeners
3: um to read and
1: again, let's stay in touch because I'd love to have you come back on.
3: oh, great, thank you so much. okay.
1: All right. Well, you have a good evening, and stay safe. Yeah.
3: Okay, you too. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. We're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be back. Don't go anywhere.
0: Dr. Mera's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmerrickharpell.com.
1: All right. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell in your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And I just want to talk for a little bit. We don't have a, uh, another guest on, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I won't keep you the whole time. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about some subtle, um, issues that tend to get in the way of, uh, living a passionate life. Um, we keep talking about, um, you know, issues related to the pandemic, and that's important. But there are other issues that are there with us, pandemic or not. And we t- I've been talking a lot about self-care and self-compassion, and I want to make a point that self-compassion is not just about taking a bath or sitting on the beach, although those are really to do and they're excellent ways to relax and take care of yourself, certainly not putting those down, taking breaks um, to just be a really important, sitting in your garden, sitting in your backyard, or just sitting on a comfortable chair and focusing on your breathing. In fact, having a regular practice of doing that every day, doing something relaxing is really important and is a big part of self-care. Those things actually help you then to look at other things, other habits um, in your life that you're doing that are causing you stress. There's sort of like a timeout from... The stress, and it gives your brain a chance to look at things more clearly. Um, taking care of yourself and and really having self care and self compassion, which is a program about having compassion for other people and how that is a uh, that is a necessary part of. Passion, living a passionate life It's what keeps the passion sustainable Is having a bigger purpose For the things that you do in your life So compassion And doing things to help The society Really important But in order to have that compassion In order to have the empathy um, You have to first have Compassion for yourself And that's really really hard but if you're not taking care of yourself um, you're you're going to be too worn out and too disconnected from your own emotions um, to feel compassion for other people now I've been listening recently to a whole series that Tara Brock has made about compassion and self compassion and um, Today was day seven. She was talking with Sandra O, oh, you know, from uh, Grey's Anatomy. And she was talking about how when she first started meditation practice, it was at a time when she had just become famous on Grey's Anatomy, and it actually stressed her out. It was very, very stressful for her to suddenly um, go from anonymity to being recognized wherever she went. And she had a very difficult time, you know, uh, dealing with that stress. And that made it difficult for her to have compassion for other people. And it was through that meditation practice. So that is really an important part of it, having a meditation practice. It was through that meditation practice of just spending time focusing on her breath um, in a group of people because some of that – Tends to help it, but right now during the pandemic, we can do it at home by ourselves or on Zoom. Um, That helped her to connect with herself and have compassion for herself, which led to being able to have compassion for other people, um, which led to greater compassion for herself. So there's like a feedback loop. But taking care of yourself is also about choosing to give up things that are unnecessary, habits that are unnecessarily causing you stress. So I've mentioned this before, that even before the pandemic, we were talking a lot on the program. I've had guests on the program. I spoke about it um, where we would, pe- the habit of people were to be extra busy, always rushing around. Again, what Will was talking about is how people are always in a rush. So they're thinking about, getting to where they want to go rather than keeping themselves and the people around them safe on the, on the roadway. And it's the same in our lives that we're not thinking about taking care of ourselves, rushing, rushing, rushing. We're not even thinking about what is the purpose of what we're doing. We're just in the habit of being busy and, it doesn't necessarily serve a greater purpose for the world or for ourselves or for the people in our lives that we love. It's just causing us more stress. And most of us have to work, yes, and it, it's not always easy. So I'm not talking about living a life of vacation and privilege, Um but how can we take care of ourselves even when we have to do things that aren't easy, that are stressful? That, you know, we, do, we might have stressful uh, work. We might have to work long hours. But how are we taking care of ourselves along the way? How are we talking to ourselves? Are we constantly berating ourselves and putting ourselves down or Forcing ourselves to do things that we don't really need to do because we think that it will prove that we're a good person. Um, How are we allowing ourselves to be treated by other people? Now, that's a really big one. Um, um, There, I just read in another book, the more that we take care of ourselves and stand up for ourselves, the more we give our body the message to be healthy. So this actually has a physical effect on our health. If we are not taking care of ourselves, if we're speaking to ourselves, you know, very often we speak to ourselves the then we would allow anybody to speak to us or the way that we, worse than any way that we would talk to another person. That we say the most horrific things to ourselves in our own minds. I, I wrote about that in my book and I call that the inner troll. And in my book I talk about several ways of taming that inner troll. Um, if we're doing that to us, we're going to affect our own health. If we're not standing up for ourselves, if we just don't want to make waves so we don't set boundaries, and that's really hard to do, especially for women in this society. Um, it's a skill that we have to learn how to clearly set boundaries without being too harsh, right? We, we don't want to push people away, but we need to let them know, no, that's too far. You can't talk to me that way or I can't say yes to everything that you want me to do. Again, putting, putting ourselves into this overly busy state, we have to be able to say no sometimes, even if it's a social event. If we're tired or we've been too busy or well, we have something else that we really want to do for ourselves, we need to feel comfortable saying no. We don't have to be liked all the time. People don't have to be happy with us at every moment. We have to stop being people pleasers. It's okay to say no. It's okay to set a boundary and say, no, you know, you can't bully me. You can't treat me that way. You can't say those things to me. And that's a practice. Um, it takes skill to learn how to do that. So on future shows, I'll talk a little bit more about how to actually communicate those sorts of things. But we first have to make the intention that that's what we're going to do, that we really want to do that. Um, You know, when we're connected to our own personal power, we all have, we're all powerful beings. Um, When we're connected to that personal power, we can create, beautiful things in our own lives and for the world. We can connect to our creativity. We can connect to our passion and follow a path of passion where we're doing something that we really love to do and that is creating something wonderful for other people. But we can't connect to that personal power where we can really get that extra push turn something that we just kind of like into a true passion. We can't do that. If we're putting ourselves down, if we're accepting constant criticism from other people, or if we're doing what other people want us to do all the time, rather than doing what we want to do, what we feel is the right thing for our lives. So that, we don't always think of that as a hurdle to our passion, but these are like constant things that go on in our lives. It's like it will wear you down. And again, in my book, I'll mention that I also have a chapter about dealing with critics. Um, When you're on the path to doing something wonderful with your life to making a any sort of change, whether it's a change in your diet, believe it or not, if you decide that you want to eat more healthy food or you want to go on a plant-based diet or just cut out um, sugar, whatever it is, if you decide that you want to go, you want to start getting healthier, so you need healthy food, you start exercising more, or if you want to start creating things, you want to start painting or playing a musical instrument or singing Or you want to change your career because you have this opportunity to do something that you really love to do. Um, You want to change your geographical location because, you know, you feel like you would be much happier in a different place. You know that that place, uh, it just fits better with your lifestyle. Whatever it is, whether it's something really small or appears to be small, like changing what you eat, or really big, like making a move to another part of the country or another part of the world. There are going to be critics. There are going to be critics. It's, it, it, without a doubt, there will be people who criticize you for the changes that you make. And they could be people that really love you and are really worried about you because of their own anxiety or they're worried that somehow their relationship with you is going to change because of the changes you're making. So they're thinking about themselves. Um, Or they could be people who are jealous and don't like to see you succeed. It's not always a negative reason behind it. Sometimes there's, a positive intention, but you know what they say, intent, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You, so being able to deal with the critics and not let it pull you down or stress you out is really important to be able to stay on the path and to stay connected to that power, that fire within you that drives your passion. The interesting part is that when people criticize you, the reason it has so much power is because it connects with the criticisms that you may already be saying to yourself. Like, why would anybody be interested in what I have to say? Why would anybody think that I'm good at this particular thing that I want to do? What does it matter? Um, if I change what I eat, I'm not gonna, it's not going to make a difference. I'm, I've had so much trouble getting healthy. I'm still going to stay this way. You know, all those self-criticisms uh, wear us down. And when other people criticize us, it just—it has so much power because we're already saying that to ourselves. So it's really important for us to to get clear about the things that we're saying to ourselves. And a uh, meditation practice is really good for that because it helps us to slow down our thinking enough and to be able to look at what we're saying to ourselves so that we see what we're doing. We see those habits. And again, I'm going to talk about these both of these issues again. And both of them, there are chapters in my book. I've written blogs about it on my website. Um, and that setting limits, uh, that's a new one that I'm going to discuss on a future show and that is being able to say no you can you cannot treat me that way being able to stand up for yourself when you're being bullied all of those things then tell your body that it's okay to be healthy when you when you stand up for yourself it when you take care of yourself your body knows to be healthy and Um, that fire in you will start to burn more brightly so that you can have true passion. Okay. So again, we'll talk more about it um, in on a future show, but meanwhile, I'm going to end right here and let you know what's coming up next. In the next couple of weeks. So next Sunday, May the 9th is Mother's Day. So we'll be playing an encore program and happy Mother's Day in advance to all the mothers and grandmothers and aunts and and mother surrogates out there. And then on Sunday, May 16th, we'll be back live and we will be joined by artist, author, and healing workshop leader Joe Jason to discuss the sacred feminine and self-love. So it's kind of right along that path of self-love. And it's based on her award-winning book, Self-Love Through the Sacred Feminine. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and get those website links and um, contact information um, that we talked about earlier with Will, that will be posted on my website later tonight and along with the podcast, and you can listen to this evening's program in five minutes by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talk slash your golden years, and also on Apple Podcasts. It'll be there in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Cartell, your golden years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guest, Will Thornton. And of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night, an inspiring couple of weeks, and remember, youth have no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
0: Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.